Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 57 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Normally I have a joke that goes into this spot, but tonight it's a little bit of a different night. Ryan is here. Alex Kirster is back for the first time since our football preview show, and that's awesome. But the real treat is former Maryland defensive tackle A.J. Francis is joining us tonight. It is a huge honor and privilege to have you, A.J., and welcome to the show. I appreciate you guys for having me on. It is our pleasure. It's an honest pleasure. It's the first time we've had any Maryland former football players. We had a former basketball player on last year, but it's the first time that we've had a football player on, and we're happy it's you, podcast savvy active on Twitter all the time, easy person to get in contact with. So for those people who haven't been following your career, as some of us have, uh, what's been going on with you lately? I know you bounced around the NFL a bit. We saw you in Seattle last year. You played with Miami. So what's been going on in your end since you uh, left Maryland? Um, well, I left Maryland. I started with Miami. I went to New England for like three months. Then I went back to Miami for two years. I finished last year in Seattle. I started this year in uh, Tampa had a really good preseason, uh, one of the best preseasons, uh, probably my second best preseason I ever had. My best one was last year. Um, so I was expecting to make the team, and then they decided that they wanted to go with two rookies instead as backups. So, you know, teams make those kind of decisions all the time. Um, I felt like I did enough to make a team, and that's why I've had a bunch of workouts since. I had a workout with the Cowboys. I had a workout with the Falcons. I'm probably going to have another workout next week. I don't know where it's going to be yet. It could be a bunch of places. Um, but, you know, I'm just waiting for basically somebody to get hurt. That's the nature of the business. And then when somebody gets hurt and I got to get in there and make some plays, that's what I'm going to do. I like the bl- I like your bluntness. <laughs> you don't usually get that from some people in, in yeah, a I mean, sports. It's, it's the truth. I mean, the league is full of, like, point blank period. I shouldn't be out of a job right now like if you watch the film from the preseason there's a bunch of guys that aren't better than me that still have jobs so when when guys that get hurt and they have no choice but to sign someone else off the street like teams do it every year um when they do i'm gonna be ready and i just i was working out today i'm working out at la fitness i'm playing basketball actually at the at the erc on campus, I play basketball probably two, three times a week to get my cardio right. Because if you can play basketball, you can play football. Because basketball <laughs> yeah. cardio is killer. And then that's what I, pretty much what I do to stay in shape. And I'm always ready. If somebody called me tomorrow, I'd be on the first flight out. I remember, I remember seeing you playing against the Jaguars, which is my team. Uh, yeah, you played very well. So I was hoping you'd make it. Things don't happen, but you'll find another team pretty sure. I, I remember seeing you last year with Seattle. I want to talk about one question uh, before we get let Ryan and and Alex in. I remember that picture with you and Stefan Diggs after it was the Seahawks-Vikings regular season game, and it's the first thing on my head because of what Stefan Diggs a couple of weeks ago, and you played with him for one season. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we know what he could do because we've all seen him play, and you saw him up close in person, and now the rest of the NFL is seeing him play. Uh, when you see a former teammate do really well like that, and you've got a couple, multiple former teammates right now doing really well in the in the league on teams and making impacts. How happy does that make you as a, as a former Terp and then as a former teammate? Uh, it makes me really happy. I'll actually share a story with you guys. I have, I've actually never shared about Stefan. I've shared it with a bunch of people, but I've never shared it like on air or like on a podcast or anything like that. So um, when Stefan, as you know, he was the best recruit that Maryland got the year he came. Oh, just a bit. And, 
and uh, he did his whole uh, commitment at Looney's um, in the varsity, I believe, right on campus. And uh, I remember the whole ordeal and being like, who does this kid think he is? Because you got to think about it from my perspective. I was going to be a four-year starter. Um, It was my senior year. I seen a bunch of kids come in with all the rivals hype and, and not pan out. And, you know, I was like, all right, this is just another kid that thinks he's so great and he's going to come here and he might be good, but he's not going to be as good as everybody says he is. Like that happens all the time. So he gets there and he has this air about him. And if you know Stefan, you know, that's just him. Like I learned that that was just how he, how he carries himself. But at the time I didn't know him from Adam. So he's walking around and it's like, he has this swag about him. And I'm like, man, this kid, I, I don't know who this kid thinks he is. Like, and me thinking as a senior, I was like, man, first chance I get in a scrimmage, I'm definitely going to have to put the lick on him to let him know that he, he's in college now. This ain't high school no more. You know what I'm saying? So I'm the whole time watching him work out. And, you know, you, you see a guy's athletic in workouts, but just because you're a workout Hall of Famer don't mean you can play football. So we get to the first scrimmage of the preseason, um, and he takes the opening kickoff to the house. And I was like, oh, okay, this kid's pretty good. All right, respect. But, you know, if I get a chance to, I'm still going to have to put a licking on him. And then he catches a screen. And I remember running him, trying to run him down. And he hit a move on somebody that was so good that in middle of me running to the ball, I was like, damn, did he just do that? <laughs> and then he proceeded to take the ball to the house. And I said, running to the sideline, I said, you know what? This kid is just as good as he thinks he is, and he's the best player on our team, so he can carry himself however he wants to. I remember thinking that was my freshman year, and the first Maryland football player I knew by name, and just no offense to you, of course, but the first Maryland player I knew by name was Stefan Diggs. And even as in my first game, which was hor- which was 7-6 to six against William & Mary, I joke about that game all the time, now that my sister goes to William & Mary, of course. Uh, I-, I joke about that game a ton, but... Even then, the whole crowd started raising its level when Stefan Diggs got the ball. It was amazing. And, I, and we, you don't see that very often with players. So it was incredibly special. Course, yeah, he was, a, he was the day he stepped foot on campus, he was ready. He, he had to get in the weight room and get bigger and stronger. But the day he stepped on campus, he was NFL ready. And as somebody that's played in the NFL, I can tell you there's not a lot of guys I've seen that have come onto campus and I've been able to go, okay, this guy has the skills that it takes to play in the NFL. And he was 18, 19 years old maybe. And that that day, at that first scrimmage, I was like, this guy is the best player on our team. That's rare to see with freshmen. Alex, floor is yours. That's never a good thing. <laughs> well, it says something about something, but we might get to that later. So we're we're just going straight up Q and A right now. We have yeah. we have no, like this the the world is my oyster, huh? Yeah, Q and A. This is fun. We've got him here. Ask him whatever you want. So I, I have a couple things that I'm I'm real curious about from your perspective, AJ. The the first one, um, and maybe well they, these are both timely in different ways. But you were you know you played your career, um, I believe almost entirely for Andy Edsel. But you you were with Ralph Region for a little while, two correct? Two. No, actually no, I, I actually uh. I actually spent more time with it. So, I, I mean, uh, with uh, Freegen. Okay. Uh, I had three I'm years trying, with Freegen and two years with Edsel. But I only I played two and right. two. But I was redshirted under Freegen, too. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I got there in, in 2012. So, I think I would have had yeah, that was for, my senior year. Yeah, exactly. For, with, with Joey Volano, of course. Pretty good defense yeah. that year. A lot, a lot of Alinsky. seniors. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to think about it. A lot of people don't know this. On that defensive line, we had – Myself, Joe Lano, Zach Kerr, Darius Kilgo, Marcus Whitfield, all played in the NFL. So yeah. we were pretty, uh, we were pretty stacked on that defense. Maryland what defensive was line traditions are great. With you guys, and, and you've experienced in this case even better. I mean, you've seen both of your college coaches uh, get fired by Maryland now. Um, from your perspective, what's it like to watch Maryland? I mean, we we, we talk about Randy Edsel and. Uh, a tone that isn't always the kindest, um, even though I always thought that he was uh, a, a gentleman when I dealt with him. But just what, what's it kind of been like for you to to watch Maryland shuffle aside the the man who recruited you and then the guy who who you developed under and, and moved on? And does it in any way change the way you the way you watch the program? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I went to Maryland because of this, the I went to Maryland honestly because of Coach Friesian and his staff. 
Um, but the thing that I saw that the it, it actually bothered me a lot more when they got rid of Coach Friedgen than when they got rid of Coach Edsel. And I say that, and I have a lot of respect for Coach Edsel, but Coach Edsel got fired because the team wasn't winning. And it's not always on him. I mean, to be quite frank, we haven't had a consistent, good quarterback in a very long time, probably since Daniel. Well, that's not true. CJ is the all-time leading touchdown scorer, but he's not. Uh, he wasn't a sit back there, break down defenses, and throw the ball around type quarterback. Right. He was a option read quarterback, which you can win with, and he did win games. But it's not the same, especially when you're playing against teams that usually have a higher skill level than you when you when you, when they first got in the Big Ten and they had the Ohio States and the Michigans and the Michigan States, where the way that they can recruit. Their team is just more stacked top to bottom. But what really was crazy to me was the fact that Coach Regan got fired after winning Coach of the Year in ACC, which is still the first. It had never been done before and hasn't been done since for a Power 5 school to fire their coach after winning, you know, Coach of the Year. Um, But even when Coach Etzel got there, we were all excited because Coach Etzel, the reason I have so much respect for Coach Etzel is because we didn't win as many games under Coach Etzel. And we didn't win as many games as a my senior year because our quarterback situation. We had five different quarterbacks that had to play right. in twelve games, one of which was a linebacker. Um, but the reason I respected Coach Etzel is because things that we weren't getting before Coach Etzel got there, like the right amount of uh, like stipend from the university, and we were able to move off campus, and so many things that other schools had been doing for a long time that we hadn't been doing. And we didn't know any better because I had never been in any other school, so I didn't know that you're supposed to get more than your exact amount of rent whenever you're living off campus. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. uh, So there was things that we didn't understand that at the time when Coach Etzel got there, and it was Fran Foley who was his, um, his, I forget what the position's called, but it's like... It's like player director, not even player director. It's like program director. I forget what it's called. but Director of football ops. Yeah, director of football ops. But he, they made sure that we got everything we were supposed to get as a player in the program. And I really appreciated that. And so did everybody on the team. Do you the think one Randy thing, was more of a player's coach? Oh, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead. No, what you said? What was your question? Do you think, I mean, it sounds, what we always heard from the outside was that Randy Edsel was not, you know, much of a player's coach. But you seem like you kind of tell a different story i mean do you think that maybe the 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 way that we viewed him was a bit uh out of touch with with the reality that you guys lived uh i wouldn't say i mean there was he i don't think to be honest he i don't consider him a player's coach uh he was a like a ceo like he made sure the ship was running the way it was supposed to be running and he made sure that guys were in class and he made sure everybody got the grades they're supposed to get and he held everybody accountable to, uh, to the things that they did, no matter who they were. Um, but I wouldn't say he's a player's coach. Really, I, in my career, I don't think I've ever played for a player's coach that was a head coach. Uh, yeah, to this day, I don't think I've ever played for a player's coach that was a head coach. I'm sure they exist somewhere. <laughs> but uh, I've never really had one as a head coach. Um, when I think of player's coach, I think of my D-line coach, Greg Gattuso. That was the thing that I think Coach Edsel – did a good job of was he did a fantastic job of bringing in great position coaches. His downfall was that he didn't always bring in the best coordinators and that's who runs the defense and, you know, in the offense, um, he had to fire both the offensive and defense coordinators after the first year that they were there. Right. Right. So, and, and I don't want to put that on coach Bradford cause I don't really put it on him because he wasn't hired to be the, offensive coordinator he I mean defensive coordinator he was hired to be the DB coach and then um coach Brown left and it put him in an awkward position um, right you guys had what three or four coordinators over your career right because then Brian Stewart came what just uh, yeah let me think uh we had yeah we had four because coach yeah. Brown came when I was a true when I was a redshirt freshman he stayed for two years and then coach Bradford was my junior year and coach Stewart who coach Stewart was a player's coach for sure but he wasn't the head coach so you, you, it doesn't really matter if your coach is a player's coach if he's not the head coach. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, the head coach is where the buck stops. So, Right, absolutely. And, and one thing that I uh, – a question that I, I think 
personally for you that I'm really curious to get your thoughts on um, more immediately timely. Uh, I'm sure you've watched the uh, you know, national anthems have, have kind of become a, uh, an activism point all across football this year, starting uh, with, with Colin, obviously. You, you've always struck me as a pretty outspoken person who's not, a, uh, not afraid to say how you feel and, and say things for what they are. Um, if you were coaching Maryland, if you were DJ Durkin, what would your policy be toward um, kind of national anthem protesting and, and players using uh, that particular outlet? How, how do you think it should be handled? Well, I don't think I'd ever be a really good head coach because I would let the players do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. Right. Um, be and that that and I'm let me rephrase. I think I'd be a fantastic head coach, but I don't think companies, com- colleges, and owners would like what I would allow for my players to do. Um, because in college football today, uh, coaches treat players like their children a lot of the time. And the entire time they treat them like their children, they tell them to act like men. And I've never understood the dichotomy in that message. Um, and to me personally, if it was up to me, uh, I would allow anybody to do whatever they wanted, especially when it comes to the national anthem. Because if you feel in your heart of hearts that there's something that you need to stand up for, who am I to tell you that you're wrong? Yeah, I agree. agree. I mean, even when you got situations like Colin Kaepernick Colin Kaepernick's drawing more attention to an issue than anybody else has and there's still no solution to the issue yet but there's more awareness of the issue because of him and it was always funny to me like I never understood how like the San Francisco Police Department said that they might stop doing uh, might stop making sure the games were safe and they might stop working the games because of the protests and what I found so funny is that like These are the things that as an African-American in America, I've never once heard of the KKK having a rally in a city and the police saying, you know what? We're not going to work that. We're not going to protect that. That's never happened. And -hmm. it's amazing to me that you can say, oh, well, we we disagree with Colin, so we're not going to work what he says. Oh, but when the KKK comes to town, do you disagree with that? Because if you... If you don't, you I mean, if you do, you shouldn't work it up according to your own standards. But if you, so if you do work it, that means you do agree with it. So it's always been interesting to me to see how people can treat two completely different situations like the national anthem. If you have a problem with Colin Kaepernick kneeling at the national anthem, but you don't have a problem with what he's kneeling about, then you're part of the problem. Do you think that the coaches who have voiced, I mean, like Jim Harbaugh a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, someone asked him, what does he think about Colin Kaepernick uh, protesting, you know, sitting during the anthem? And at first he really doesn't like it. Um, and then, you know, I'm not I'm not sure. I don't I don't know Jim Harbaugh myself, but um, as a as someone who makes his living um, because of the work of uh, a team of largely uh, young African-American men uh, who aren't paid and kind of, you know, someone who needs to recruit in the African-American community suddenly decides, oh, hey, you know, maybe this is good. You know, th- this seems like a more uh, apt kind of activism. Do you think that coaches who seem to have been, you know, a lot of coaches, Chip Kelly was this week, um, a lot of coaches who seem to have spoken out kind of in favor of it, do you think it's genuine or do you think there's some self-interest that might lead them to an opinion like that? I, I think that um, it. I think some of them are genuine. I, I truthfully believe certain coaches do support and understand what their players deal with. Look, there's a lot of people that don't understand what black people in America go through because they don't have a lot of black people that they associate with that they can talk to about the topic. Um, and they don't know anybody from rougher parts of cities that they are willing to have in-depth conversations with. In the realm of the coaching, I mean, if you're a football coach, you deal with a lot of black kids, usually. Um, and especially at the college and NFL level. So if you have said something that your players don't dis- don't agree with, especially in, in this uh, day and age where everything you say, there's going to be a media member that goes to your pl- to a player on your team and says, what do you think about uh, your coach saying that he doesn't support blah, 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 blah. There's going to be a, a time in which 
you're going to have conversations with people that maybe have different opinions than you, but their opinions are just as valid as yours, and they can offer a different perspective than you're able to. I remember yesterday uh, Coach Popovich talked about how he said, I've never once even considered having to tell my sons how to act when they get pulled over by a cop. And he said, and all my black friends have had to talk to their sons about that. And he said, I never even thought about that until I realized that. And there's, until you recognize something and someone can sit you down and tell you how they feel and how they view a situation, you're only gonna know what you know from your personal experience. And if my personal experience is different than yours, then we're gonna feel two different ways about the topic. Um, there's a lot of players that feel as if, and not just players, there's a lot of people that feel as if what Colin Kaepernick is doing is the right thing to do because, as you can see, Colin Kaepernick has the number one jersey sale in the in the NFL. So there's clearly a lot of people that support him. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one quick question for follow-up before I let Ryan in because it's been 20 minutes and he hasn't spoken yet. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if when you're back in the NFL, AJ, I'm assuming – are you going to protest, or how would you do, would you do the raised fist, or would you kneel, or would you do it in a different way? Um, I really don't know. I, to me, if I was going to do it, I would probably do the raised fist, but I I haven't even thought about that. See, that's the thing is I I haven't I don't think about these kind of things until I'm presented with the situation. Um, it was funny is people tried to use me as a way. Because the day before Colin, the whole story broke about Colin uh, sitting down during the anthem, um, I held the American flag while running out with the Bucks, And people tried to say, this is how a player should act. And I was like, no, nah, don't try to clump me in your dumb argument because I actually support what he's doing. Um, and there's a lot of people that support what he's doing but aren't willing to speak up because in the NFL, you're not allowed to have an opinion. You're not allowed to have a voice. That's why it's it's amazing to me that um, a league full of African-Americans is run by pretty much none. And so you can see a situation in which their voice is not being heard because, like I said, if my life, if my life experiences are different than yours, for example, I don't think Roger Goodell has ever had the same life experience as me. I could very well be wrong. I don't know him at all. I've never met him once. But I got to think that me growing up in Severn, Maryland, and living my life in Pioneer City, and having police officers pull me over whenever I'm in a nice car, and ask me point blank if this is my car before they even run the license and the registration, um, and having being 12 years old and having cops jump out on me and my dad because we're walking into McDonald's and putting guns on us and putting guns to our heads and saying, get on the ground, get on the ground, because two black guys robbed a bank in a white van a week earlier, and we're two black guys in a white truck. I mean, when you have those experiences, you view situations differently. And some people don't have those experiences. So to them, they don't understand why people who have lived those kind of experiences have such a problem with police brutality, with pol uh, police overusing force, with just people in America in general that think that there isn't a problem that needs to be fixed and ignore the plain sights in front of their eyes. So at the end of the day, my, my goal and the goal of a lot of people that are protesting and a lot of people that are protesting but agree is to just shed awareness on the subject. Mm -hmm. Ryan, finally, it's your turn. <laughs> I think that was that was really interesting insight to get, especially from someone who's actually played and been in there. I love yeah, this. no, I I thought that was uh, that was great too. Um, I'm actually I'm a little interested in um, in sort of your experience, sort of as Maryland at Maryland as a student, and how that's uh, how you know I've I've had as a, I'm a, currently a senior at Maryland, and you know I've had classes with athletes, and it seems like uh, it's obviously pretty hard to. In generally, in college athletics in general, like you have to work pretty hard to get a meaningful degree. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious what your experience was like as a student. And I know uh, Randy Edsel especially uh, improved the team's academics quite a bit. Um, but I'm curious how uh, how difficult is it like just for the average football player, especially during the season? Uh, for the average football player, it's really, really difficult. I was blessed, man. I'm, I've really been blessed. 
um, school's always just come easy to me my whole life. Um, I don't really know why. I really was just blessed. It, to me, I like you have to be in a uh, study hall. You're, I'll give you an example of what a schedule was like my freshman year. So when I had to be in study hall. So you would wake up at 7 and you'd go to breakfast before 8 o'clock. Then you'd have to work out for like an hour. Then you would go to study hall for like an hour. Then you would go to class for like four hours. Then you'd get lunch. Uh, then you would go back to class. Then you would go uh, to practice. You'd practice. Then you'd watch film. So now it's like six o'clock. Then you would eat dinner. Then now it's like 7.30. Then you would go to study hall until like 9.30 and then you'd go back to your dorm. And you'd do the same thing every day for five days. And then for, uh, Saturday was game day. Sunday you had off and you would repeat the process again on Monday. Um, and like luckily after you get uh, after your freshman year, if you have above a certain GPA, you don't have to be in study hall. But there's a lot of guys that don't ever reach that GPA threshold and are in study hall their entire career. And during the season, you literally don't have any time at all. And that's why a lot of times why guys end up skipping class. Imagine, imagine if you never had free time. Well, you guys are all you guys are all either in college or went to college. I'm assuming, right? Yep. Yeah. So. So imagine when you went to college, if you never had free time, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 7 p.m., how many classes would you have skipped? At least a few. Definitely definitely more than a few. (laughs) That's my point exactly. Sometimes you're just like, man, I'm tired. I just want to go get a nap, especially knowing you got practice later and film and study hall. Like, you – that's why a lot of guys – the problem is that guys end up getting overworked a lot in college. Um, and especially when – if your degree is actually something that's really hard. Like I have over – like my degree was not easy. It was government politics. Um, and my master's is public policy. And there's guys who who were biochem majors. And there's guys who – were pre-law and pre-med and I'm like how are you doing this because I could never I could never devote that much energy into school while also doing all this stuff for football I never was I picked something that I really like doing I really like government and I really like um, international economics which is the focus of my master's like these are things that come naturally to me so it's not hard for me to do but there's guys that do hard hard schoolwork and make it look so easy and i got all the respect in the world for him mm-hmm. um yeah well there's one guy they uh we talked to a little bit this year maurice shelton who's he was on scholar he was on academic scholarship when he came here for engineering and now he's a starter um yeah i played with mo my uh he was there when i was a freshman i mean my when i was a senior he was a freshman right okay okay and uh yeah, that it just seems like, and I know several players like Richard Sherman, especially, is a guy who's spoken out about how uh, how grueling it kind of is. Is it harder? Because um, you guys are in school almost all year round, right? What's the yeah. what's the summer like? Is it how, how yeah. much of a break do you guys actually get? You don't. You get like school ends. Like when if sometimes like I got lucky once, and I only had the classes I was in. I only had one exam. I had three final papers, one and a final project and one exam. So my exam ended up being on like May 14th. So I was done on the 14th after uh, I was done on the fifth. I was able to leave on the 15th. I had to be, I was gone for like two weeks. And when I say gone, I went back home, which is like 20 miles away. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I uh, was gone for like two weeks and then summer session started July 1st and I was back in summer session every working out five days a week and going to class four days a week, mm, July 1st till like, I mean, June 1st till like July 15th. Then you'd get another 10 days off and then camp starts on the 26th, 27th. And then you're in training camp, which is the worst part of the year. And you'll be there for, three weeks, four weeks until the first game. So it it was rough, man. I mean, I can't sit here and tell you that college, college, playing college football is 
hard. And I didn't realize how hard it was until I got out of it and I realized what it was like playing in the NFL. Easier? Playing in in the NFL is so much easier than playing in college. Because in the NFL, there are times when they treat you like children. But for the most part, they treat you like a man because if you don't do the workout and you don't study your film and you don't get in the playbook and you don't do all those things on your own, they'll just fire you. So it's really on you. In college, they're like, we got to make sure that they're doing this. We got to make sure that they're doing that. We can't let up on them. We got to stay on them all the time, blah, 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 blah. In the NFL, it's not like that. And I didn't even realize how hard it was. Like even the workouts in college are – like college workout, when I go back to Maryland in the offseason and I work out with the team, I work out with those guys, but I do my own workout that I get from my team that I'm on or that I get from a trainer that I know. I don't do the workouts that they do because the workouts that guys do in college are so hard. Would have never well, guessed that. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Um, how, oh, Alex, you, did you want to jump in here? No, do you know you? why? Do you know why? Oh, though? Oh, the I, reason, think, I think it's interesting. The reason yeah. why is because. In NFL, they're all about protecting their investment. You already can play. We don't need to know that you can bench press 500 pounds, you can squat 600 pounds. We don't need to do that because you either can play or you can't. In college, they try to work you to the bone because if a guy gets hurt working out or practicing, there's 100 other guys we got on the team. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In the NFL, during the preseason, there's 90 guys. But during the season, there's 53 guys plus 10 guys on the practice squad. So there's 63 guys. I mean, if somebody gets hurt, there's not that many guys that can replace them. You're going to have to sign somebody off the street. You're going to have to do all that. And then, God forbid, it's somebody that you actually need on your team, like a big-time player. Like, for instance, when I was in Miami last year, when Cam Wake got hurt, that killed so much of our game plan on defense. Um, so you they're trying to make sure that guys are healthy, not trying to make sure that they're the strongest dudes in the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one question. You know, I tell you that, as someone who's watched HBO's Ballers, I, I feel really well versed. Uh, <laughs> of course you say that. Golf. Of course teams, you say that, Alex. Exactly as you're describing. I can't. The thing is, I can't even watch. I mean, I watch Ballers, and I, I'm like on episode four of season two now. But like to me, there's just so much. I don't understand how Rashad Mendenhall is on the writing staff and they have so many things wrong about the NFL. For example, I remember in season one, there was a scene where they go to the Dolphins practice and none of the offensive or defensive linemen had any wrist tape or gloves or anything. Everybody was just bare armed out there. Like how, how do you play in the NFL and allow that to be on screen? And you're trying to portray what an actual NFL practice looks like. And then the guy that this year I don't even I can't even remember his name, but he's a defensive tackle and he plays for the Cowboys on the show. And they said, Oh yeah, he signed a forty million dollar deal. He's a six foot two, two hundred and sixty five pound D tackle. And I'm like, Yes, yeah, yeah. sixty five pound D tackle. <laughs> yeah, that'll do like, it. Like at least lie it. and say he's two linebacker. Five. You know what I'm saying? Two sixty five yeah. is like a big Mike linebacker or yeah. like a D end. A D tackle, if there's not Aaron Donalds is probably the smallest D tackle in the league and he's like 290 probably 285 at the lightest yeah i want to ask how do you think oh Oh, sorry alex but i want to ask this question because now that we on the subject of hbo shows how real then i don't know how much you've got a chance to watch hard knocks because obviously you were in training camp but how much of reality is actually portrayed in that kind of show um i mean they just it's really a documentary or training camp like there are some guys that put on a front for the camera um and try to act like they're superheroes. But for the most part, a lot of guys that are on these shows, I mean, that's what happens. When you see a coach cut a guy after he's doing the conditioning test, I mean, that happens. I've been on a team where that happens. Uh, I mean, you see guys get hurt, and then they take them to the back. Like when I was watching, I haven't seen – I don't usually watch Hard Knocks. I watch episodes of somebody else who's watching it, and I'm there. But I don't watch it because during training camp, the last thing I want to do is see more training camp. Uh, (laughs) But, like, uh, there was an episode this year. And what team did they have this year? I don't even remember. The Rams. So there was an episode this year they were showing a preseason game and a guy got hurt and blew out his knee. And then, like, they show him going to the back and they show him, like, getting x-rays or whatever. And then it just cuts to the next scene of the game. And that's really what the NFL is like because – you blow out your knee. Oops, sorry, you're hurt. We'll put you on injured reserve, but 
yeah, you pretty much don't matter on this team anymore. So we'll see you next year if you're healthy enough to come back. If not, we'll probably just get rid of you. So, like, that's how the NFL works. Seems a bit heartless, but anyway, that was all great. Yeah. I want to get I want to get onto football now because I I don't know how much obviously in season when you're traveling all the time I never get an idea of how much you players in the NFL get a chance to watch college games. I know some get great chances and you have plenty of means to do it now, way more than you could in the past. But in the NFL season, how much did you get to watch Maryland games when you're on the road traveling most Saturdays? Um. Actually, it would, it would depend on when the game was, when we left. Um, I every chance, every time I could watch one, I did watch one, but I wasn't always able to. Um, sometimes you got lucky if we were flying. Like some planes that we would fly in would have the live TV in air, and you'd be able to watch. Like if the game was on ESPN, you'd be able to watch it. Or like a lot of times, uh, like I remember um, one of the funniest stories is my buddy Jordan Kovacs who. Um, I played with in Miami. He went to Michigan. And one day we were flying. It was the Michigan-Ohio State game. And we didn't get to see any of the game, which killed him. But it was like the game where Michigan went for two at the end of the game to win it. And he's like watching the game cast on his phone, like from oh the Wi-Fi. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like so mad that the game isn't being shown. Because like the two weeks before that, we had planes where you could watch. He would have been able to watch the game while we were in air. But then now this plane, for some whatever reason, didn't have that capability. So <laughs> he was just like sitting there watching it. And then when they didn't get it, he was like the most depressed person in the world. But <laughs> how, like, how, yeah. how would that be like if you're, let's say now, you're on a team with Jordan, I guess. And you're, let's say you were watching Maryland, Michigan two years ago when Maryland went into the big house and won. I mean, what's yeah. that like? On we did NFL watch team? that game together. Oh, did you? And yeah, we watched that game together. And it's so funny because like you end up like – you end up like betting on the games, but you don't like bet money. Well, some people do, but you like, we bet like a Chipotle dinner and like a case of Corona, you know what I'm saying? And then like, I, he's, uh, we bet on basketball and football games and it's like stuff like that between friends that you bet because you end up talking about your school so much. Cause people ask you like, how was Maryland? And I asked him, how was Michigan? And we end up talking about it. So I know a lot more about Michigan than I ever should because of him. Same way with Stanford, because Michael Thomas, who plays for the Dolphins still, was one of my good friends there. And he tells me about Stanford all the time. And you end up actually rooting for schools that you had no invested interest in before because you become friends with people who went to these schools. So like because of my friends that I made in the NFL – I want to see Utah do good because of my buddy Sam Brenner. I want to see Michigan do well unless they're playing Maryland. I want to see Stanford do well. Um, and there's a bunch of teams like that that I, I root for even though I never went there because of friends that you make. I, I want to I imagine you and your friends from Stanford. That wouldn't have gone particularly well for you with the Foster Farms Bowl a couple of years ago. Oh, no, it did not. It was, <laughs> that was a bad it time. Didn't go, it didn't go well for us either watching it. I can, I said, <laughs> what do you think of this year's team? Because we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about it, and them being 3-0 and is obviously fantastic. But from what you get to watch and what you hear and you worked out with the team, obviously, in the spring, what do you think of this year's group, and what do you think of DJ Durkin? Uh, Dirk's cool, man. I mean, like I say, I never played for a player's coach. He seems like a player's coach. Now, I don't know what he's like in these meetings. And he could be a completely different person. And there's a lot of people who are smooth talkers when talking to recruits and alumni and those kind of things. But when you get them behind closed doors, they're completely different people. Um, and I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. But from everything that I've heard from the guys, they really like him. And they, they believe that he's genuine. And that's the number one thing when it comes to being a coach is, like, do the players believe that this is really you? Or are you trying to tell a story to us? Like, for example – uh, like even though a lot of guys didn't agree with it, the whole do rag thing with Coach Etzel—that was really him. He really didn't think that people should be wearing do rags. Now, it's annoying that people that wore do rags wanted to continue to wear them, but you understand that it's not him putting up a front, pretending to be something he's not. He's being himself and letting you know, look, I don't like these things, and if you want to wear them it's going to be a problem because i don't like it and he's genuine and even if you don't agree with someone if you understand that they're being genuine and they're not being phony you can at least respect what they have to say mm -hmm. alex aj for you is it um 
you, you mentioned the teams that you've rooted for and, and you know, obviously watching Maryland this year. Um, is it easier because Maryland doesn't have um, kind of any blood feud sorts of football rivals? Or do you think that Maryland does have a football rival that uh, we've all just kind of missed the boat on for the last couple of years? Uh, I really think that Penn State is a football rival. And I will say that and I'll say that till the cows come home because I tell you one thing, when I was in Miami and I was in the same D line room with Cam Wake and Jared Odrick, who both went to Penn State, and when we they the whole time were saying Penn State doesn't have any rivals, you're not our rival, blah blah blah. The anger in their hearts after we beat them in Penn State was true hatred. So you can't you can't come into the defensive line meeting the next day face pouted up mad as hell and tell me that we're not rivals cuz you lost. Oh that is fantastic. I, that was the I'm glad you A you didn't say Rutgers and B because we're trying to I'm trying to make the Penn State rivalry a thing. I Do you like an actual thing? Well, it, the only way to really make it a thing is to is to beat them more often than not. There's a I mean, Come I mean, up. yeah, I, we beat them once. We lost to them in a close game last year that we could have won. We beat. I think that we will beat them again this year. Do you? And, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think Penn State uh, obviously has some problems, but I, I think I think Maryland could use you to go back in there and play a little run defense. <laughs> I mean, they, I don't really. I I, I don't. I, I, think, I will. I will say this: Frank is going to exploit whatever our defense's weaknesses and seems to be run defense, but. He will find a way to if if we can't stop the run, he's going to run the exact plays that give us problems until we find a way to stop it. Do you think that having the four three? I mean, I know you were Maryland's changed a lot, obviously, in just a couple of years. I mean, one thing that they did um, last year, you know, right right before Randy was on the way out the door, was move from the three four to a four three. Um, I'm sure that would have changed your job significantly. Um, being in the Big Ten now and playing that style of defense, I mean, do you think? Do you think it suits Maryland well? And obviously, you know, DJ Durkin's played a 4-3 for years, but um, kind of what are the differences there from a player standpoint, and, and how do you think that can work uh, in the college game specifically where there are so many different schemes on offenses? You know, what's funny is that if you don't want it to be, there really is no difference between a 3-4 and a 4-3, and I'll give you an example. My senior year, we ran a 3-4, and I had never run a 3-4 before, and I haven't run a 3-4 since. But – uh, well, that's not true. We technically ran a 4-3 and a 3-4 when I was on the Patriots, but I digress. Uh, when when you run a 4-3, there's really only one way to play it. Uh, you can play over or you can play under. And when I say over or under, for people that don't know what that means, an under front is when you send the nose guard, the defensive end that travels with the nose guard, and the Sam linebacker to the strength of whatever defense you're playing, whether the, I mean, to yeah, to whatever offense you're playing, sorry. So whether you designate strength by the tight end formation lining up or passing strength or whatever, that's called an under defense. And over defense is when you send the three techniques, slat, what people call defensive tackle, and the end that travels with him and the will and the mic to the strength call, whatever you designate the strength call to be. Um, that's how you play 4-3. You, when you play 3-4, like when we play 3-4, you can play it the exact same way. The only difference is the backside defensive end, instead of being a defensive end, it's a linebacker who stands up. I mean, that's literally – when we – my senior year, that was the only difference. We played an under front where I was um, – sorry, Kilgo was the nose guard, and he always went to the strength call. Me and Joe both played defensive end, and they're called defensive ends in that system – but it was uh, I was if I was away from the call I would be a three technique and if I was two to call I'd be a five technique and whoever had the, whoever was the three technique Darren Drakeford who was our our will was the stand up linebacker outside of him and it was the exact same defense as if you're running a four three under four three front the only difference is we just had a the fourth guy on the defensive line was a stand up linebacker who could drop but a lot of times you end up rushing so it really was just a four three. Mm. Um, uh, that's what a lot of people don't know about the, about how you can actually make them the exact same. Now, a traditional 3-4, which is what, let's say, the Pittsburgh Steelers run, is you have a zero technique on the center. You have two Which one's basically just head on head. Or hey, as yeah, as zero technique, head up on the center. And then you have a four two four techniques, which are inside shades of the tackle. And then those three defensive linemen 
do what's called two gapping, where you don't really have a gap. You start in one gap. Like if I'm the zero technique, if the play goes left, I have the backside a gap. But if the play runs in the front side a gap, I'm supposed to make that play too. Mm-hmm. And defensive ends are the same way in the B and C gap. So you can make it different, but in all honesty, there's ways to make it the same. And because of that, you can play a 3-4 in the Big Ten if you play it like we played it. Don't I've always thought, am I correct that line play as a player? I mean, I, you're probably biased here, so maybe I shouldn't ask, but that line play is the most schematically complicated thing to execute at a high level because of uh, the different alignments that you can play and the different balances that align and then an offense can throw at you? Uh, schematically, no, not at all. Schematically, definitely defensive back is hard, much harder to play. But physically, there is nothing harder to play in the world than defensive line. Because A, you don't know where it's going. The guy you do, you're you supposed to stop in front of you does know where it's going. And you're reactionary. And on top of that, uh, there's a lot of times when you're going to be fighting two guys instead of one. So I think physically it's much harder. But schematically, no, defensive back is much harder to play, in my opinion. Ryan? Um, all right, let's see what else we got here. I think that was really interesting as someone who's just been learning a lot more about football schematically, at least in the past year. But, um, so I think one, uh, and I think this will probably be one of our last questions here, but, um, you know, DJ Durkin is so far been like hailed as a really, as a great recruiter and a couple of his assistants, especially, are like you know came in with the reputations of being like great recruiters um like azar abdul rahim is one of the guys who especially um jumps out what uh, thinking back to your days as a recruit what really stood out to you um in different guys that came and tried to recruit you i know one uh, a big characteristic they all say is just being genuine kind of like what you said about coach hetzel earlier yeah it, it it's the god's honest truth one of the things that I loved about Coach Salazzo when I when I was going to Maryland and I was deciding where do I want to go play football at. The one thing I liked most about Coach Salazzo is that I really believed that he felt everything that he said. Everything that he said to me and everything that he meant to say to me, he meant from his heart. And that's actually who he was. Now, there are some coaches in this world that, as I would like to say, know how to fake the funk. And pretend like they care, but don't actually care. And Coach Salazzo was not like that, which is why I ended up going to Maryland. Because there were a lot of coaches like that were recruiting me that I felt were fake and didn't believe everything that they said. And there are coaches on this staff that apparently I don't know them very well. I've talked to a bunch of them, but there's coaches on the staff that truthfully are looking out for the best interest of their players. And if I feel that you're looking out for my best interest, I have a lot more respect for you, and I'm willing to take your opinion more seriously. Mm-hmm. I want to get some quick-hitting questions in uh, before we go. Uh, what's your best Ralph Regan story? Uh, best Ralph Regan story? Let me think. Oh, uh, Coach Regan, a lot of people, it was funny to me, was Coach Fregen, uh would sit, and uh, when I was on my recruiting visit, and he would uh, have pictures, or not pictures, he would have, like, cards of all the players that he was talking to. And the funny thing was is sometimes he didn't realize that his cards during the conversation were facing me. So I would realize, so I, like, was reading what he had about me, and he was like, uh, A.J. Francis, uh, defensive lineman from Gonzaga, uh uh, dad is big in his life. Like these are things that are on the card in front of me, and the entire time he has no idea that I'm reading the cards while he's talking to me. And now, granted, I love Coach Friedgen, and he's one of my favorite coaches I've ever had to this day. But it was just so funny to me as an 18 year old kid seeing that and being like, "Wow, this really is just like them trying to make sure that they make put the best foot forward." They're like studying up on kids as they're talking to them. Mm-hmm. When you played obviously your senior year that's when 
Maryland announced that they were moving to the Big Ten, but you didn't obviously play in that conference. But what was the mood like in the locker room right after the announcement was made? I remember it leaked on a Friday. It was announced on a Monday. So there wasn't a lot of lead time. And then there's that the Florida State game in between was really weird in terms of the atmosphere. And that was your senior day. So what was the atmosphere like in the locker room for some of the players who would be there when Maryland played in the Big Ten and then those that weren't? I hated the idea personally. I At the time... And now I understand it more, and it makes a lot more sense, and I think it was the absolute best thing that they could have done. Um, but at the time, I absolutely hated the idea of Maryland not being in the ACC because I, uh, my whole life was Maryland in the ACC. I used to go to Duke-Maryland basketball games at Cole Fieldhouse. I was at the game when, uh, 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 the, when Maryland – scored like 100 when they were playing Virginia and they scored like 120 points or something stupid like that. I was at that game. I used to go to Maryland games as a kid all the time because um, my family, uh, my one of my closest friends, his family had season tickets. And so we would go to all the basketball games. I would go to the football games. I remember the first college football game I went to was Maryland versus Clemson and I got to see Woody Danzler put on a show. Uh, and I used to love going to see Maryland ACC games and when they decided to go to the Big Ten, it really sucked for me. I really hated that idea. But then the more I thought about it and I realized, look, the amount of money that's going to be generated for the university is going to help out so many different things other than football. There's so many different sports that need more funding. There's so many different that so many different majors that need more funding. Like it's not just about football. And once I realized and put my selfishness apart and realized the Big Ten network was awesome and the <laughs> fact that and the fact that they had an actual network and not a network that they call a network, but it's actually on the internet. Or or, or just a bunch of random channels you had to look up on a Saturday praying that you got the yeah. right one. Conference yeah. T V networks are a hell of a thing, I will say. They they are they are so complicated. I was just reading something about that earlier, but that's a tangent. <laughs> it was it's it was just funny to I realized after it was funny after i left college i realized how dumb i was being about the whole situation and kevin anderson to his credit at the time when i was acting like an idiot saying these things about how it was so dumb he said he didn't he said he didn't agree and that he thinks that my mind would change and he was right and i'll give him his credit i think him and professor Lowe made the best decision for the university and i think that Maryland will be much better off in the Big Ten than they ever were in ACC. Which is, which is incredible to think about how negative it was and then how positive a lot of people are thinking about it. Now, we're just talking about the Penn State rivalry. Maryland never had a real rival, quote-unquote, in the ACC, at least in, in football. Uh, Perry Hills is still playing. He's going to start, presumably start on Saturday. And he started the first, I think it was six games that year, senior year as a freshman. So what's it like now that you see him? He's played for five years. Uh, what do you think of him as, as a quarterback? You know, he gets a lot of stick in the past for the way he played, some of it unjustifiably so. He had a lot of burden on his shoulders, of course, a ton of injuries. But what, do, what are you thinking about Perry as a quarterback and as a person? I had a class with him my first semester freshman year, so that was pretty intriguing. But uh, what do you think of him as a, as a guy now, now that he's been in Maryland for, what, five years? Yeah, it, it, to me it's so funny that Perry is doing everything that he's doing because when he first got there – like his his career, I mean, not his career, his season ended so prematurely, and I felt so bad for him at the time, and I couldn't believe the way it ended because he got blocked in the back during an NC State game, oh, yeah. and it was, and that's how he blew out his knee, and I, I, and they still didn't even, at least they called it, but at, to not acknowledge the fact that the guy who did it, like, that was like one of the most asshole moves in the history of football. Um, to not acknowledge that was amazing to me. The the fact that because I watched the cat the 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 um the what do you call it the I watched the re recording of it the replaying of it and uh, the next day and it was funny to me that it, they just glossed it over like oh yeah Perry Hills got hurt when he hurt his when he got blocked it was like well he got blocked in the back by a dude that's like 300 pounds and it was not cool at all but they just let it skate and it's amazing to me to go from that point and if i'm being honest perry we won four games of the six that he played um and he was a freshman and he did the best he could but he also 
didn't play as great as we would have hoped CJ would have played if CJ didn't get hurt as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at him now, I mean, he's a polished quarterback now. He understands what he has to do as a quarterback, and he doesn't make a lot of the same mistakes that he made when he was a young kid just being thrown in the fire. And that comes with experience. I mean, after you play so many football games, you have it's sink or swim. You're either going to learn and you're going to understand that you got to get better or you're not going to play. And he understood that, and he put the time in, put the effort in, and he's come out a better quarterback for it, and I'm happy for him, for real. So, Ryan, first we'll go to you. Any quick last questions you want to ask? Um, <clears throat> I guess the one is uh, after football. Uh, I actually interviewed you a, while, a couple years ago for uh, Maryland's school newspaper, but um, – at that point, you were doing an internship with uh, 120 Sports. Mm-hmm. Are you still uh, thinking about being a broadcaster after after football's over? Yeah, that's still my plan. I mean, I, to this day, it's something that uh, when I did the internship, I thought that I would do, I would like it, and I thought that I would be good. And then after I got to actually be on air for a week and offer insight, like I did in this podcast, like I do every time I go on air or anywhere. And I realized that I had a lot to offer within the field and that I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I realized the reason I liked playing football so much was because it was fun and it was a game and I got to hang out with my friends and I got to make a lot more friends. And I realized that broadcasting is pretty much going to be the same thing. Uh, It's going to be a lot less physical. Um, And I'm going to try to be a member of the media that's not as boring and ask annoying questions to try to get you with the gotcha journalism. That's not my... Yeah, respiration. Gotta do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, if you're hiring, my inbox is open. Uh, but when, I'll tell. Him. I'll tell. Him. <laughs> when I, I, to me, there needs to be, and I don't, um, I don't f- follow a lot of Maryland journalism, and I don't, I don't know what kind of journalists you guys are. I, I really don't. But I know that there's a lot of journalists out there that only care about them making a story. And don't care about the person the story is about. And and to me, that's wrong. You should always, if you're putting your name on a product and you're doing a story about someone, the story shouldn't be about how it can profit the person writing it. It should be like, how can this story benefit the person I'm writing it about? And I think that that is a big part of journalism that's being missed today. And there's too much clickbait and not enough and too much sensationalism and not enough actual journalistic integrity and i think that needs to change and it's only a matter of time before people get fed up and i I, and i think i see it from a different light i don't think everybody sees it the same way i do because they've never been on the other side of it i've been um had a story wrote about me when i was in high school um where i called the the in the the junior combine, the national junior combine for the Army All-American game, a meat market, because that's what it was. I mean, you had guys out there, and you had a jersey number, and they would write your jersey number on your leg like a cow, like your livestock, and you had people there taking all your measurables and watching everything you do and make making sure that you go do this and whatnot, and that's what it was. It was a meat market. But I, at the time, me being 17 years old and saying this kind of thing, it was a journalist who wrote the story, tried to make it seem like I was in the wrong for pointing out what it actually was, when in actuality, he didn't care about what I felt about the situation. He only cared about writing a story that was going to be good for him. And I, I learned that at a young age. And the more and more I looked into it, the more I realized there needs to be more accountability for what you say and how you present a story. And that's going to be my goal. And if I, hopefully I'm able to do it. And if I can't, hopefully somebody can do it better than me. We, we, try to, we try to do that here. I know Alex has Ryan run the ship that way. Alex, any final questions from you? No, AJ, I appreciate very much taking the time. This is uh, definitely a much more heavy-hitting, much much deeper conversation uh, than we than we sometimes have on the Testudo Times podcast. Talk about things a little bit more serious than, uh, you know, just, you know, how many interceptions Maryland threw the last week <laughs> or, or what have zero. you. So thanks for coming. They were off. Zero and zero for the last zero, nine which months. is incredible. I it know. is. It's remarkable. Yeah, I really can't believe it. That, and they're playing that, that, this week. Yeah, I can, I'm looking forward to that game. I'm going to be there. It's homecoming. 
Um, I'm going to be there, and I intend on having a good time. If you guys know any good tailgates, let me know. Uh, <laughs> you know what they put in that way, Jay? You'll hate it. They put it on the practice field. They put it on your turf. They they have the big, or maybe that's just the on-campus tailgate. Now, that, that's just the, uh, that's where they corner all of the students and throw them. But they got, uh, <laughs> yeah. they got all the, uh, you know, lot, lot one still where I guess most of them are at. Yeah, I'm too old to be out there with them students. I used to, I used to, uh, like, because I was finishing my master's last, this past off season, and, like, I would go, sometimes I would end up walking on Route 1, and, it would, the, like, the bars would be open, and I'd go in the bars, and it'd be like, yeah, I'm too old for this whole vibe. Like, I, I think even Ryan feels that way now, and he's senior. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't. I, I know I felt that way a bit, but that's because I'm weird. But I can't. Uh, I, I really can't believe, like, the things that I... I used to, like, the way, like... Bentley's more power to him, but the way <laughs> that that place smells in the front <laughs> corner is atrocious. <laughs> I can't believe that happened. Uh, it, it, I, I know. And anyone who's ever been in Bentley's knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's atrocious. Yeah, and but know. when I was in college, I didn't care. Now yeah. I go back and I'm like, geez, dude, this is bad. Uh, I, I kind of noticed that when I went with some friends of mine who were broadcasting a game last year, and that was that was an interesting time. But Bentley's is Bentley's, and we still love it because of. SVP Absolutely. Tell, SVP getting everybody to go to Vents after the Georgetown game last year, which is pretty awesome. I've got to give you a chance to plug your own podcast and your Twitter handle, uh, even though it's it's wrestling related. Not everybody here is a wrestling fan, but I do know of some specific Maryland fans that I follow on my Twitter timeline that are big wrestling fans and would probably love to hear you plug yourself and your podcast. So go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, so we just had we just recorded this week's uh, episode today. It's called Jobbing Out. It's me, Glenn Clark, who used to actually be a beat writer. For That's how I met Glenn, because he was a beat writer for the Maryland football team um, when I first went to Maryland. And now he has his own radio show, Glenn Clark Radio, um, on Pressbox in Baltimore. He covers Orioles, Ravens, all the Baltimore sports. Um, and Aaron Oster, who is a Maryland graduate. I met Aaron, I Aaron. because— We all know him. We've met, I've met yeah, him before. Aaron's a Aaron's a cool guy. He's a little weird, but he's a good guy. Uh, he he's uh, he went to Maryland, as you know, and he uh, he actually is the one of the, a wrestling writer for the Rolling Stone, and he's a wrestling writer uh, for the Baltimore Sun. So he's a pretty big deal in the wrestling community. I, as far as wrestling fans go, I'm not the most famous wrestling fan in the world, but I'd like to think that I'm in the upper percentile for sure. Uh, and then you got Glenn, who's an actual radio host, and we talk about wrestling, what happened in wrestling th- that week, and what's going to, what we think is going to happen in the future. And if you like wrestling, you'll love our show. This week we actually had uh, Scott Hall on the show. You might know him as Razor Ramon. He's a WWE Hall of Famer. He's one of the most famous wrestlers in history. Um, he basically stole Scarface's gimmick, and it worked to perfection. So <laughs> he's a good guy, and I'm glad that. You know, we get to talk wrestling. And the fact that I get to talk about wrestling, something that I've always loved, um, and my opinion matters to people, and we have fans that listen every week and know all our little catchphrases and all that, is amazing to me. The fact that people listen at all is amazing to me, but clearly they do, or we wouldn't still be doing it. <laughs> um, and you can follow us on Twitter at, at Jobbing Out Show. Um, and my Twitter is AJFrance410. You can check it out whenever you want. And Anybody who I just opened a started a company with my dad called Francis Sports Academy. I do the football training, which we haven't started yet because nobody needs skills session training in the season because you're practicing and you have games or whatnot. But my dad is coached a couple guys that have played in the NBA. Um, and he's coached a bunch of guys that have played Division One, Two, Three, JUCO, overseas. Um, he's been a basketball coach my whole life, and every Sunday we have kids come out and do drills. And if you got a kid that K through 12 that thinks that they want to focus on basketball, or even if they don't want to focus on basketball, they just play basketball and they want to get better. I mean, we got five-year-olds out there that can do crossovers behind their back, and I'd like to think that a lot of that has to do with us. It's, I mean, just like every other sport, natural ability is key, but he. I mean, we've had these kids doing drills that NBA drills at five years old. That helps. I mean, that, it, it just helps. See, you're, there's no, you're not going to play a lot of five-year-olds that are doing these kind of drills and getting this kind of work done. And it goes all the way up to high school kids. So 
we had the a girl that was the St. Mary's County Player of the Year last year as a freshman. So we got a lot of good kids that come in every Sunday. And you can check us out at FrancisSportsAcademy.com or you can follow us on Instagram at Francis underscore sports. Um, we got a lot going on, and I'm just grateful for you guys having me on the show. You were well, we, it's your, our pleasure. You were the one. We don't get players to have like that, you know, on this show many times. And sometimes I, I feel like I get nervous when we do these interviews because like how do people are going to react to them? And this has been a marathon show, but it's been one of my personal favorites. And I know Alex and Ryan probably think the same way. And on your comment on podcasts, hopefully people think the same way about the Testudo Times podcast that think about your show, AJ. And thank you so much for being here. Hopefully we'll have a chance to have you on again in the future. Yeah, guys, just let me know if I can fit you in. I'll definitely come back on. Oh, we'll we'll make time for you. We'll all try to make time for you. Thank I think you it's a matter much. of AJ making time for us. But thanks so much, AJ. <laughs> we'll Thank you, man. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the marathon. Enjoy homecoming on Saturday. Uh, but, of course, go Terps.